Welcome to the EdTech Throwdown. Join us, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson, as we dive into today's best EdTech tools, tips, and practices. We do the research so you can teach your class. Remember to follow us on social media like Instagram, X, or Facebook by looking for the handle at EdTech Throwdown. Now please enjoy the show. Welcome to the EdTech Throwdown. This is episode 158 called Six Ways EdTech Can Save a Lesson. In this episode, we'll talk about six different EdTech tools that you can sprinkle into any lesson that might need some saving. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. All right, so back with episode 158. This one is a, always a fun podcast episode when we do things that are kind of creative that will make teaching practice, you know, seem a lot easier to manage sometimes because we all know when our lessons are tanking. It happens to the best of us. It happens to all of us. You are a teacher of the year, former teacher of the year, and I guarantee you, you have a couple lessons within the first 10 minutes. You're just like, what am I doing? This isn't working. Where do we go from here? I mean, we could tell we could tell stories all, all day about failed lessons. I had a real bad one a few years ago when my room was full of, I think I've told this before, actually, but my room was full of French foreign exchange students, and the students were just having none of the lesson that I was trying to conduct because they were way more interested. I think it was like six of these students from France that were like visiting the classroom, and, and I don't blame them like I would be too. That is way more interesting, certainly, than anything I was talking about, but it was a complete disaster. And maybe one of these tools would have helped out. But regardless, we do have some fun stuff for you. All of this actually sort of came something not related to school at all. This is, you know, we're dealing here this year with our first kind of snowy winter in a long time. I don't know about you, but I don't mind the snow. I kind of get excited to go out there and, and see it. I like how quiet it gets. I like, of course, that we get a little bit of break from school. I don't even mind going out and shoveling, right? And of course, when you've got kids, as both you and I do, the whole thing changes. And this particular one started with me on Instagram. I call it Instagram parenting. I don't know if you get these things that pop up, like try this activity with your kids. Do you see this kind of stuff? Well, let me back you up real quick. <laughs> you like the snow. I like the snow for the first snow. Mm -hmm. After that, when we start getting into February, people need to realize, the when I say people, it's Mother Nature. She needs to realize baseball <laughs> season's coming up. We got pitchers and catchers going back, getting ready for spring training. We need to start brightening up the days, warming up a little bit. Right. But as you said that, I am not really, like, I don't get Instagram. I just don't get it. Like, why can't I add a link to a picture? Right. All this stuff just doesn't make sense to me. I need someone to sit me down. I guess this is just showing my age. I get all this other stuff. Like, I'm supposed to be a techie guy, but I just don't get that platform. Okay. Well, you're a, you're a TikTok guy, so maybe TikTok has something more similar. But, like, you know, these, these apps, of course, they're sort of listening to what you're saying, and they're paying attention to your searches online, and they suggest things to you. So Instagram knows that I'm a parent, and it knows that I'm looking for fun and educational stuff for me to do with my daughter. So all the time I get these, you know, 
parental influencers, typically moms, but a lot of them are dads too. And they're posting cool stuff, different activities that you can do with your kids. Anybody out there who's a parent has the same experience on Instagram, I can guarantee you, because it's just kind of part of the deal. And most of these things I just flip past and I never do because I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, that's not going to work. It's going to be a complete disaster. Well, this one caught me and I should have known from the top it wasn't going to work, but I went for it. I'm talking about an activity for toddlers, for little kids, where you take any kind of a mold, it could be like a cupcake mold, just like a tin of like a cupcake tray. I found these little heart molds, I think for jello or something that we have. And you fill them with water. And that's part of the activity, right? You get your little kid at the sink, you fill them with water, you put some food coloring droplets in the water. Super fun. I was hooked, right? It's colorful. Me and my daughter were doing this. It was great. You throw it in the freezer. So you've got these frozen colored shapes uh, that come out at the end. And then you go outside and you pop them out of the mold and you decorate the snow with them. That's the activity. So I was like, cool, snow day, we're going to do this. In the morning, I set up these colored things while my daughter was napping. I froze them and then we came back out to do the, I'm air quoting here, the fun part where we go try to decorate the snow and the snowmen with these frozen molds. This is where the disaster begins. I got to ask you before I explain what went wrong here. Do you see any potential failures with this particular scenario? Keep in mind, my daughter is just past three years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't. I mean, I, I, this sounds ridiculous. Like you, you added too many steps. Like just take the food coloring out, make a snowman and just have her squirt the snowman with the food coloring. Yeah. She has gloves on. If the gloves get ruined, it happens. Like right. no one looks at your gloves when you're out in the snow. So just go and, you know, let her go at it with the food color. As you're I don't understand this whole freezing <laughs> stuff to decorate snow. Just go decorate the snow. It's a snow cone at yeah. your exposal. As you're saying that, everything just seems so much clearer to me now. But uh <laughs> man, it was just it was just terrible. First thing that happened is we're trying to pop these frozen things out of the out of the tin it's freezing cold outside so they're not coming out i should have let them like warm up a little bit to get like a layer of water in there it so they should actually, have just not frozen them. i should have just not done anything have which... a cookie cutter make a heart out of snow and then have her dabble yeah um, but it, it was like they wouldn't come out so she's getting upset right the patience of a three-year-old is extremely low so we can't get these things out of the tin i'm smacking the tin on the sidewalk to try and like force them out because i can see she's starting to get upset so one of them came out most of them are just like breaking and shattering into a million pieces so she's getting even more upset by that finally i get a little bit smart and i start like cupping my hands around the back of the mold and, and breathing on it to melt it a little bit so they can actually come out i'm like all right i got this figured out we're good to go and some of them actually start coming out unbroken and i'm like okay at least we can you know, decorate our, we made a snowman too. So I was going to make them like buttons on the snowman. So they start coming out and I give them to my daughter and all of a sudden it clicks in my head like, oh, as she's holding these frozen things, they're going to start to melt. And now there's food coloring all over her hands. And again, anybody with parents knows anything on the hands is very soon on the face, on the coat, on the pants. I also was stupid enough to put on the the good the good coat, right? I didn't wear like the junky outdoor play coat. So I see this 
you know, relatively nice coat start get starts getting streaked with like red food coloring. And I can just instantly picture my wife like getting super upset because I'm out there. She's covered in all this food coloring, which she doesn't care about. But now I'm getting upset because I can see the coat being ruined or at least that I have to figure out how to wash now. So I'm now taking the frozen things from her, which further upsets her. And at this point, I just kind of stood there, looked around, threw my hands up in the air and said, you know what? I should have just skipped this whole thing, stayed inside and let technology save the day by watching a movie because it was it was a complete disaster. I got to be honest with you. I wish I would have taken your advice and just like drop some food coloring in the snow to begin with. Look, I'm going to I'm going to say this. You're a good dad. Because you thought uh, you planned all this stuff. And just like you being in a classroom, your kids, your students are going to appreciate the fact that you tried to change it up and that you flopped on your face. And you know what? You also got a story out of it, which is great. This is a story that Silva is going to, you know, laugh at later on. It, I, yeah. that, it's what's going to happen, you know. <laughs> But you also learn from it and you realize that next time I'm going to, you know, probably just wear that modern art masterpiece of a jacket that you just created <laughs> instead of the new one. And you're just going to let her go out with the uh, food coloring, keep the gloves on and uh, see what happens. It's a good point. I mean, there are some positives that come out of it. Even these things that we say are, are failures never are. You know, the classroom parallel that you brought up is a great one. Your students always appreciate stuff that even if it doesn't work out, sometimes they even like it better because it shows your your human side. And I don't know. I don't know if that's what Sylvia got out of this in particular, but, you know, one day she might. It also sort of gave us the idea for this episode because it made me think of these moments where, you know, you're in class and your best intentions, they, they go awry. There's things that happen that you just can't foresee. A ton of stuff that, of course, afterwards seems super clear. And you're like, why didn't I think of this in the moment? And this is a great place a lot of the times where technology can come in and save the day. So that is our theme for today. We're actually going to take a quick break for a message from Teach Better. But stick around because when we come back, we're going to explain six and tech tools that can help you save a failing lesson. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. So we're back from that break. I hope everybody is excited to check out these, you know, ed tech tools for saving a lesson. We're going to rattle off some of our updates first. Guys, do you want to take it away? Yeah. So we have the March 12th NJECC conference coming up. We have two different throwdowns there. Uh, we have the uh, AI ed tech throwdown where we rattle off some of our favorite AI tools. And then we also have our regular ed tech tool throwdown which we rattle off some of our uh, tech tools that don't necessarily have AI in them. So we got those two things coming down. If you're in the tri-state area, make sure that you check that out. Uh, check out the conference. It's one of our favorite conferences to go to. You got good people running the conference and they just treat people right. I feel like when you go there, their number one goal is for educators to learn. And it's, it's just a good vibe there. So go check that out. Uh, we have a couple blogs that came out. We're going by the time this video airs, we'll have two different new videos that are up. 
on our YouTube channel. One is on a tool that we're going to go over today, and the other one is on a podcasting tool that is good with your Chromebooks. It will work with your Chromebooks. It will allow you to record and edit right there. It's an amazing tool. It's a lot like Audacity, but it does work on the Chromebook. So go check out those two videos. All right, let's, um, that's awesome. I'm excited for all of those things. Let's actually jump into some of these, some of these ways that EdTech can save a lesson. So we, we roughly grouped these, although, you know, admittedly the tech tools here came first and we kind of just came up with the categories, if you want to call it that afterwards, but we'll begin with the categories here anyway, because a great thing that tech can help with is, is warmups, introductions to a lesson. You know, I'm, I'm especially guilty of not always paying attention to this just for time. I want to get straight into the meat of it. So I make sure I've got time to go over the homework and explain the content and give, make sure the kids can finish in class so they don't have too much homework afterwards, all these things. But a warm up is huge. That preparation is, is huge. That hook is, is really important. And we found some cool stuff here. The first one to help with this is called AI snapshots and AI snapshots, it's tough for me to actually describe what it is. I do know if you go to AI snapshots and sign up, they're, they're going to want to collect your email and stuff. And, and I had to answer a pretty lengthy questionnaire to get access to this. But I can tell you after a couple weeks of being in there, you they do not spam you. They will ask you what you want to get emailed about. And if you just keep everything unchecked, these people are going to leave you alone. It's free. And when you sign up, you're going to gain access to a Google Doc that contains 180, yes, that's right, 180 different classroom warmups that are ready to go for you to use. Uh, they're all written out on slides, so you could literally just kind of use them as is in the Google slide form. You could copy paste them to your own slide deck. You can change them, do whatever you want, really. But the, these things are cool. They are all AI themed. So if you're looking for content specific stuff, you're not going to find it. So you have to really put this in the proper space. But, you know, this could fit in a lot of different spots. We've been talking recently at our school about trying to sort of teach kids or at least get them talking about AI and tools like these chatbots, ChatGPT, and so forth. And how to use them, what's appropriate, what's not, what might you get in trouble for one day when you're working or in college, and what won't you, how to find the AI policy of whatever school you're at or whoever you're working for to make sure you don't break that policy because it's going to be different. And, and as we're recording this now in 2024, it's tough to even talk about because nobody knows what things are going to look like a bunch of years down the road, but just essentially getting students talking about this landscape. But the point is on these slides, and they actually do group them by subjects. So English teachers, you'll have a whole section devoted to you. Math teachers, same thing. But if as you scroll through, there's just a ton of really engaging AI-themed warm-ups that might actually fit in with maybe a book you're reading in an, in an English class or in a math class. Some of these actually involve math that in an AI theme might tie in with what you're talking about that day. What I like about it is that students want to talk about AI. They find it interesting. It's real time. It's happening now. They're all aware of it. They're all trying to figure out how to use it. Here's an example of one in that English realm. They call it timeout. 
Um, so it's got a little thing to read. It says, Streaming service Twitch has trouble with trolls. After getting banned, it's common for trolls to log in under a new account. Twitch's suspicious user detection AI compares aggressive chat users with chat behavior of banned users to try to identify these banned users who have multiple accounts. And then the question that's posed to the students is who could benefit from this technology and who could be harmed by it. So this is what you want the students to think about. This is essentially a discussion question. It comes with some prompts uh, that you can sort of help to guide the students. I'm not going to go through all of those, but there's like a second slide for each of these to sort of help them engage in that. Um, so that's just like one example. Some of them, you know, and there's all kinds of different things in here. Yeah, I like that. And I like that prompt a lot because immediately I'm starting to think, well, how can this technology be used and who can it be used by? So I'm taking what I know about the world right now and I'm relating it to my personal experience. Uh, for all you T-Swifties out there, uh, I mean, people could use this type of technology to stop having people get 36,000, uh, you know, Ticketmaster accounts and scooping up all the fair-priced T-Swift concert tickets. I'm not... Uh, I'm not hating over here. Yes, I am. <laughs> All right. So I could definitely see that for that type of purpose. Uh, I know when uh, NFTs were a big thing, there are people getting multiple accounts so they can, um, you know, have a better chance of winning a lottery for one of those NFTs and then selling it for, you know, 15, 20, 30, 50 times the amount that they bought it for. So there, there are big real world, third world, your first world problems, I should say. Um, that, you know, this type of answer can apply to. So definitely, yeah, it's first world, not that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a Monday here. We're recording right before we're going to actually release this, but I'm going to get into mine unless you had anything else to add on yours. Now that wraps it up. Just head over to, um, to AI snapshots, everybody, because this is an excellent resource to keep in your back pocket. All right. So he's talking about do nows or intro activities. I'm going to talk about activities in general, but these do work for do now. So that's why I think this uh, website fits the category. My website is called ablconnect.harvard.edu. Yes, it's a Harvard-based site. And when you go there, what it will do is give you a whole bunch of different activity types. So all you have to do is click on activity type, and there's several here, and it will uh, give you a how-to guide to implement these activities into your classroom and uh, evidence on why that activity helps students learn. So it really gets you to think why you're doing it and how it's going to be beneficial. So the different, some of the different types of activities are polling, think, pair, share, do now, quick write, uh, discussions, jigsaws, con uh, concept maps, case studies, game simulations, uh, corrections, so intentionally make mistakes to promote learning. Nick, I know you do this all the time, whether it's on purpose or just an act, I don't know. Uh, Role-playing, debating, uh, sequences, research, speed dating. I mean, that sounds weird, but it works. I've done this in uh, the classroom, in the classroom, uh, you know, multiple times. Uh, field trips, labs, and lectures. Those are the categories. But when you go in there, it will give you some ideas and then there's ways to expand them. I'll tell you one that I've done recently is uh, I went over to concept maps. So basically what you do is you take different shapes 
you start with an eight by eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, and you laminate it. So you could, the students can write on it, and it will wash off with the whiteboard, uh, you know, markers. And you plop that in the middle, and you give the students a topic, and then you tell them there are no, there's no talking during this activity, but the goal is based on the topic that the teacher prescribes, you're now coming up with the next level of things. These are the big ideas around that topic. And then once no one has any more of that, you go to a smaller shape and you start doing on those like subtopics, you do the little categorized pieces of information of what the students think you need to know about that topic. It's good, like, for example, if I do a lesson on climate change and I put climate change in the middle and I was like, I want you guys to show what you know by coming up with subtopics of the big things that funnel into climate change and then giving me some supporting details underneath that. So maybe the first one is eight and a half uh, by 11 piece of uh, paper with some magnets on the back. Uh, the next ones are half sheets of paper in rectangular form. And then after that, you start giving them different color post-it notes. And when you're done, you take a picture of it, you share it out to everybody. But I got that idea from this website. I took something that they gave me and I kind of made it my own. This is an excellent website. I've not seen this before, but it's like like a one-stop shop for, hey, you want to know how to be a teacher and just immediately put a bunch of stuff in your toolkit of things that teachers do, even down to just like lecture. I mean, that's one of the categories. You click on it, it gives you a definition, gives you some examples, gives you a how-to guide, research that supports the value of that tool and and then just different uh, stuff related to it. This is really, really powerful. And if you're looking for ways to spice things up and, and get ideas, boy, what an awesome spot to go. So I'm glad you brought that to the table today. Yeah, that was a good find. And uh, I think we need to get into our next uh, category, which is better engagement. So this uh, one is, you started your lesson, you realize that they're not quite picking up what you're putting down. They don't understand the lesson. So what can we do to get an idea of something that we could replace on the fly? Yeah, or you've got a, like I mentioned before, you've got a classroom full of uh, French foreign exchange students that your students are way more interested in than trying to learn about acid-based titrations. So you need something to really lock everybody in and promote that. So we've got a couple tools for you here. Hey, Nick. Yo. Know what time it is? Oh, boy. I had a feeling. Yeah, tech throwdown time. Welcome to the EdTech Throwdown. This is an in-episode competition featuring an EdTech tool, tip, or practice that can be used to enhance learning and increase engagement. In one corner, we have Geist, the genetically confused mixture of silverback, human, and sloth, a walking identity crisis. And in the other corner, we have Nick, the pint-sized powerhouse ready to punch above his weight and give Geist a run for his bananas. It's a showdown between a confused giant and a determined and David, get ready for the ultimate clash of the EdTech Titans. So this is actually a great spot for today's EdTech Throwdown, at least for me, because this is my favorite tool on the list. I don't know if you planned it that way on purpose. I can't imagine why you would have, because I can't imagine anybody 
voting for whatever you have over whatever I have. Now, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Those there are fighting words. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I think the only fair way of doing this, I have a little paper clip that I just found. So I'm going to throw this up in the air. Right now, the wingtips are both open. Tell me how many wingtips are going to close when I throw this down. One or two. One closes. All right, none closed, and it was kind of rigged that way. So I get to choose, and I'm going to have you go first because I really don't think yours has a leg up on mine, but we'll see. All right, let's let's give it a shot, everybody. Remember, with these EdTech throwdowns, just like our live EdTech throwdown, you can vote and tell us who you think has the better tool, which, of course, will be mine in this case. It's called School AI. Um, every time I say that to people, they think I'm saying magic school and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know about magic school. It's really awesome. I don't mean magic school. I mean what I'm saying. School AI. School AI is really, it's got my attention right now because what it's going to allow you to do is create essentially like a, a customized chat bot that only is going to talk to your students about a specific thing. Um, the good news is that you don't have to actually have any kind of technical ability whatsoever. You just go there, sort of give it some information about what the students are going to be talking about or are going to need help with. And then it gives you a link and you share that link with your students. They go to a nice little page where they can then start typing and interacting with this chatbot. Uh, the example that I will give you is... Um, a classroom of kindergarten students. So I'm going to like the total other end of the spectrum here from what we typically talk about. And these kindergarten students are starting a project. Let's just say a, a project on um, the chores that they do at home. And they have to sort of come up with some sort of a presentation on their, their chores at home. Um, a chatbot will can be created that can allow these students to talk to or type to and essentially hone and refine what their project is going to be. In other words, imagine student A goes and types, and this might be silly for kindergarten students, but that's actually the example um, that I was shown in a, a session where uh, I was taught this. So um, you can sort of judge if that makes sense or not, but if it, and if it doesn't make sense, just raise that to like any older student. But a student goes there and says, um, the only chore I do at home is putting away the dishes from the dishwasher. I don't know what sort of project I can do. And then the chatbot responds and starts helping the student come up with what this project is going to be. Just picture, you know, if you have a class of 24 students, imagine 24 different versions of you maybe not you because it's not quite as, as good and personalized as you, but 24 different slightly not as good versions as you walking through each student individually to hone their project and what it's going to be. Um, to me, that is uh, almost like groundbreaking, right? Because each student is getting individual coaching on this project via the chat bot that I no longer have to do, or at least then I can just step in and help the students that really need it. And I just think it's awesome. So this is worth checking out for sure. Go to School AI, everybody. Give it a Google. Head to our show notes because I think stuff like this is is likely a big part of the future of education. And School AI is just the the first of what will probably be many things like it. Yeah, so 
I like chatbots. I like interacting with chatbots. I will throw it out there that you have to be cautious in what you're asking a chatbot. So if the chatbot is George Washington, well, in George Washington's day, there has been, uh, you know, a lot that has changed that is social, socially acceptable and, and culturally acceptable and all that since George Washington. So if it's taking the stance of George Washington, what I'm trying to say is you have to look for bias. You have to look for what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable, and see if that's okay with you. But these chatbots are amazing, especially if you're asking... Uh, basically you're asking the chatbot to assume a parental role. So we're not giving any specific person there and I need help coming up with 20 science fair projects that I could do or 15 STEM projects that I could start or STEM problems that I can investigate, whatever it may be. So it is very beneficial for those. Uh, now to get into mine, and this one I'm super excited about, it's a Google tool that is coming out. Right now it's an experimental phase, which I think is Google's way of saying beta. I, I think they like experimental better. But it's called Notebook LM. And to get there, you go to notebooklm.google. This is a research tool. So basically think of a notebook as a folder or a notebook, like a uh, you know, maybe a three ring binder, anything where you're going to write down research, or in this case, you can use a PDF, a Google drive file. Um, you could copy and paste things in there. And what it's going to do is keep those as resources on the left-hand side. All right. And then you have a little search bar on the bottom, which you type in questions and based on the questions you type, it's going to make note cards. And these note cards are a bunch of information that you get from the sources that you uploaded. So the idea is this, all right, a student goes out and finds credible resources, which they upload into their notebook. And then they ask the, uh, they ask the AI tool basically to, to organize some information based on what they're, what they want to accomplish. So what I did is I brought in a whole bunch of, um, resources on World War II, the causes of World War II. So I brought two or three in, I think to start, I had more, but I felt like that was enough to get where I needed to go. And there is a, it's a video that was just published on our YouTube channel. So it is there. You could go check it out and see what it's all about. But I asked it to come up with the a list of causes of World War II. And what it did, it spit out six or seven different ones. And then it put some supporting facts underneath it. And the thing I really like is it also tells you where it got that information out of the different resources that you uploaded. All right, so it's a way to organize things. Now, I know what everyone's thinking, research, students need to know how to do research. Why would you ever show them this tool? Well, I know that in science, when we do lab reports and we're teaching freshmen how to do lab reports, we start by having them write an introduction or write a hypothesis and we never give them the full gambit. So, what if we start off with uh, this World War II project by giving them, let's say, 10 articles, and as a class, they have to say which one of these 
uh, 10, which ones are good articles to use because they, they're factual, they're non-biased, you know, they go through the credibility check. All right. Once the class has decided that, then they put that into their notebook. And now we're asking questions and we're seeing what that, you know, search bot comes up with. And as a class, we're going over that. Why is this important? Why is this something that should be pulled out of the, the, uh, you know, references that you just put in there, those resources and you take it step by step. And then at the end, as a teacher, you say, Hey, just want to let you know, we've used AI up to this point. Now you're going to show me what you know. There's no AI that's able to be used for this project. Uh, you've gone through it. You saw how effective AI was. We know that it's there, but I want to see how well you can write a paper. And I would turn it into a competition saying, all right, our topic is this, write your paper. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a paper using AI. And then what we're going to do is we're going to try to see who wrote the better paper, the AI or one of you in the class and, you know, make a competition out of it. Anyone that wrote a better paper than the AI gets a point for your team. So it's almost like man versus robot a little bit but it's with writing a research paper. So uh, Notebook LM, I see a lot of benefits of this, especially if you clearly communicate how it can be used and later on how it can't be used. And then you give them a go at it. Yeah, I mean, just like any other AI, you got to coach students. You got to let them know it's there, but also let them know the right way to use it. I think, you know, crazy powerful. Just like, I mean, they'd self-describe on their main page this way, but it is it is literally a virtual research assistant. So at the low levels, you're right, you can help those students get started faster and and sort of get into it without the typical heavy lift of a research project, which is great, I think. And then maybe at the higher levels too, once they really know how to do it, just doing it faster. And and that's, I think that has lots of huge benefits too. So that's a strong choice, man. I don't know if you're listening and, and either playing along just in your head, or if you're actually going to go vote, um, that would be a tough choice for anybody. But I think that wraps up our EdTech Throwdown. Mine was School AI, the customizable classroom chatbot and yours was notebook lm the experimental google research assistant so i'll put a poll up on our socials um right now we are still using at we got teched uh for twitter handle for the show but we did start at tech throwdown twitter handle which we plan on converting into in a little bit once the word kind of gets out that we switch brand names uh but we're having a lot of fun with the EdTech Throwdown, and it allows us to kind of showcase that feature so you know what you're going to expect when you see us at a conference or something along those lines. So uh, the poll will be up on all the socials, and uh, I'll make sure I put it up there. Make sure you do your part by voting for which tool you like best, and if you have any comments about it, please share those along, and let's keep this engagement going. We're going to get into our next uh, category, which is better organization. Nick should be able to beat me in this one because <laughs> he is the second most organized person that I know. The first one, he just got dethroned uh, by our new EdTech coach here at Hopewell, uh, Dana Heller, who was on the show a couple episodes back. Uh, but he's a close second, and I am a very, very distant third. Uh, so... 
Let's get into the better organization piece. I'll go first on this one. Uh, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on the tool because I think it describes itself. And uh, Nick's giving me a little smirk because I did a little play of words there. Very clever. Yeah. So mine is called Scribe. And uh, Scribe is very similar to Tango. Uh, what are some other ones that make these step-by-step guides based on your clicks? Yeah, this is like an IORAD, right? IORAD, uh, Tango. Uh, I will tell you this. They have a gallery in Scribe, and this is something I think is awesome. It's like a community-type thing where you can add different guides, and they have them nicely organized. There's an education section in there, but I'm looking at, uh, for example, how to filter by color in Google Sheets. So it gives you a how-to guide to do that. How to insert a lot of rows into Google Sheets. How to unfreeze columns in Google Sheets. And they give you step-by-step guides there. If you go down to the education um, part, uh, this is like a how to sign into Kahoot. They also have life hacks here. So how to post images on Twitter. And I know a lot of these are simple, but for some of our clientele here, we need these simple things and we need to give them a you know a foundation before we teach them some more advanced things so i really like all this uh this uh community feel of scribe uh, i will tell you that the pricing is uh for basic is free uh, it will work with any web app there's quick customization and there's a shareable with link and embed. So that's basically what I use it for. But if you wanted to go with pro and ex- uh, export to uh, HTML um, or edit and re- redact screenshots and get some branded guides and things like that, you would want to go with the pro version, which is $23 for a personal per month or $12 for a team with a five uh, seat minimum. So that would be $60. Uh, per month there. Uh, But I think what I would use it for at least to start to try it out is for the community feel of what was already created and as well as the basic and free part of this, I think would be serviceable for me to get started. Yeah, I love Scribe and tools like it, and that's great for classroom organization. My my selection here is something called Goblin Tools. Goblin Tools is just a neat thing. You can tell that it's 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 just like in the background chat GPT, but kind of guiding you to do a set of specific things. So the and in terms of classroom organization, because uh, when you go to Goblin Tools, you'll see along the top, there's a lot of stuff that it does. The one I like for students is called Magic To Do. Uh, what this allows you to do is maybe for students that might have trouble with organization or mapping out their thoughts is you type in a task that has to be completed and magic to do automatically breaks that down into the series of steps that anyone would have to do to complete that task Uh, i did some tests with this just with simple things like feed the cat so when you type feed the cat and then let you know magic tools kind of break that down it automatically comes up with the list of things you would need to do to feed the cat. This one's very simple, but it can do very complicated stuff as well. So it tells me obtain cat food, place cat food in a bowl, put the bowl in a designated feeding area for the cat, call the cat, monitor the cat while it eats. 
done. And you can actually like use this actively and check these things off as you do them. I tried a more complex thing like, um, you know, buy a house and it told me how to buy a house. As crazy as that sounds, research housing market, set a budget, get pre-approved, find an agent, search for houses, visit houses, make an offer. Seems silly, maybe, uh, but that means you're a person who probably doesn't need magic to do. A lot of for a lot of students, this might actually be the tool that they need to kind of stay on task, eventually on their own without having to check in with you. Uh, so that's why I like it. If you're there just for kicks, there's lots of other cool stuff too that might be more helpful for you, like a formalizer, where you can type in any sort of like an email you might eventually send. And you can ask Goblin Tools to rewrite it in different forms. So more polite, less snarky. So if you want to sort of respond to maybe, you know, an email you didn't like and you want to respond with a certain level of snark, but then take it down a notch for the version you actually send, it's going to do that. You can tell it to do all kinds of things like make it more sociable, make it less emotional. So if you really want to let it fly and get all your feelings out there, then Goblin Tools will scale it back in a form that you can actually send. They have a judge tool that says, uh, am I misreading the tone of this? So maybe you get an email from someone and you're like, what the heck is wrong with this person? Why would you say that to me? You can put it in here and Goblin Tools will give you its judgment on that and let you know what this person is actually saying. Uh, there's a time estimator where you give it a task and it lets you know how long it thinks it is going to take along with tons of other stuff. I'm not going to go through all of them, but in terms of organization and people that need help with that, Goblin Tools is pretty awesome. So I would check that one out as well. Which brings us to our next category, which is on meaning. This is maybe the most powerful way that you can make a lesson less of a failure. And it's maybe the one I'm most excited to talk about. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited that you... We did not make the last category, the throwdown goblin tools. Never heard of that one before, but I can't wait to go check that one out. It's pretty cool. This more meeting one pulls on the heartstrings a little bit. And I will tell you, when I taught bioethics, we always tried to adopt a local charity or organization and bring light to that organization. We would make PSAs. Uh, we would try to some the one year we actually got involved uh with the nls group and we were able to raise some money for a local als group uh so what we're saying here is we're either we're, we're i don't know how to really explain this other than we're going to look to see how people live and what type of causes are out there and how we could be more supportive to those causes Nick, I'm very excited about yours because I didn't know this was out there, and I think it's super interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. It's called Dollar Street, and it's this super visual photo display. It's like a photo journalism website that documents different families from around the world under different living conditions and income levels. So some of these people are are living on like you know five dollars a month and that's their whole income other people are people are living a more middle class income and it puts them side by side in this photo documentary style just to show how they're living and, and what they do with that money how this relates to your content is up to you i mean you mentioned bioethics is like an easy tie-in uh, if you teach any kind of a math class there's that financial piece 
Um, to me, this transcends all of that, though, and is, is just a really cool thing that might be worth giving time to just as an exploration of our world today and how it is. The fact that it's all photo documentation, like I said, makes it really visually interesting and really impactful because you can see these people, you can see these families, some much like your own, but maybe super, super different because they live in, uh, I don't know, um, you know, Chad, and they're trying to survive on a totally different, uh, uh, you know, way of life than you. And you can look at that in this, the way that it can be extremely powerful. So it's tough to describe Dollar Street besides that. And besides saying, just just go there and, and check it out, scroll through. Really interesting. It could lend a lot of meaning to a lesson that needs some some life support for sure. So I'm thinking with this, you could take a class and you could do a STEM research project on you this could, yeah. by saying, all right, I want you to investigate a couple different families on different income levels, come up with a problem that they might face right. in their daily lives, and then come up a, with a solution to that problem and how you would go about doing it. Now, are they going to be able to solve that problem and implement it? Probably not. But they should be able to get something like, hey, this family doesn't have a clean source of water. I'm going to build this right or do this and i think that would be very cool the one that i came up with is called charitynavigator.org and basically what it does is it allows you to search different charities and based on that charity's public record and what they do it gives them a rating so if it's a hundred percent rating that probably means that they have a very good reputation and all the money collected goes to who it says it's going to. Now, some of the charities out there, yeah, they are giving to a certain charity, but there's a lot of overhead. Like there's an administrator to be paid. There's several employees to be paid. It's not just volunteer. Uh, so maybe only 25% of these money coming in actually goes to the organization. So they would get a lower score than someone that, you know, where everything's volunteer and stuff like that. So you're able to find these different charitable organizations. This is the website that I would use with my bioethics class to get them to do a PSA on charities, kind of do their part by spreading the word on their charity of choice. Yep, important because a lot of students don't know that charities are different and not created equal. Some are more effective in terms of where that money goes than others. And this is a powerful tool that everybody should know about. Um, so I'm glad you shared that. Um, our next little section here is on video, just because it's a, a really excellent way to save a failing lesson because video is great. Everybody loves watching little clips. Everybody loves watching movies. And of course, we all know you can bring that to your classroom. I have chosen something called TED Ed Lesson Creator, and I picked it because we all know about TED Ed videos and how engaging and special they are. I didn't know that TED Ed also has a lesson creator platform where you have to make an account, but then you can choose your, your TED Ed video that you might just otherwise play, but then customize things that go with it, like animations, 
uh, questions, things that the students do. You can publish it, send students that publish link, and then even monitor student progress, uh, you know, as they watch and complete those activities. So it's just a really cool thing. If you're using a lot of TED Ed videos and you want to take it a level beyond just hey guys, let's watch this really inspirational person. You could actually use this TED Ed lesson creator to build that out in a more formal way. I didn't know it existed. Maybe you didn't either, but but check it out because I think it could be great. Yeah, all the TEDx and TED Ed resources are amazing. They're there for a reason. They're there because they work right. and they're successful. So I remember a science class that I was... Uh, you know, I thought it was a good lesson until it actually happened. And then I was just like, nope, not a good one. Let's pivot. And I remember it was on human impact. Okay. So uh, basically, we were looking at different ways uh, that humans impact the world in both a positive and a negative space. Right? And I, what I did is I made a QR code for several different ways. Um, that the, the students would have to watch and deem as a positive thing or a negative thing. Now, a lot of times, the things that I chose had both. It just depends what lens you looked at it. Like, you could look at fracking, for example, and it could say that it is negative. It affects uh, drinking water and stuff like that. Or you could look at it as, hey, it brings in revenue for those people that own the land, blah, 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 blah. All right. But we could also look at it as, okay, it could be negative. It could be positive. How can we get it? So it's going to help the landowners, but not, you know, take away their drinking water. The students just weren't making the connections of the positive and negative for each one. They were just seeing the blatantly obvious viewpoint of that right now is that their fault my fault yeah it's probably no one's fault it's just kind of what happened all right so what i could have done is changed up that lesson completely but what i decided to do is i decided for them to pick something that interests them that had a human impact and i did the opposite and the two sites that i gave them were this old house and familyhandyman.com. Now, these are both like, if you go onto the TV and you, you watch them, uh, I don't know, like, what, what's the uh, Property Brothers, I think? One's a handyman, one's a real estate yeah, agent, yeah. and the handyman fixes up the house. Sure. So these sites have a whole bunch of different ways that you could do yourself, like do-it-yourself projects and how to do those within your house. But I wanted them to take it outside of the house. I wanted them to look at solar panels and see how that can impact the world or or take, uh, you know, three different resources, wood, brick, and sticks, and see which one makes the best house and most affordable and the pros and cons of each of that. So I wanted them to take human impacts and do the same thing. So what they did is they went to these two uh, sites. They had to come up with, uh, you know, parts of the house that were made and how this could be used in a global forum to solve a problem. And they used these two sites. So what I found out is that if students are challenged with a problem that they can connect to and that interests them, they're going to elevate that lesson more than my prescribed QR codes to videos and have them watch them and discuss it. They want to solve problems. They don't want to view problems, I guess is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And again, you're talking about a really important thing, which is just working through the the nuance of it of an issue. And it's uh, maybe that's the most valuable thing we can do as a teacher. So I love it. And that's just a creative application of something seemingly unrelated, like the website for this old house. So smart choice, man, which brings us to our last one, which will probably be our fastest one. We, we I just called it like fun because there's nothing to this guys, but sometimes these little fun things is all you need to uh, fix a lesson and maybe put it into a different space. There's a cool thing called stickity, which I believe we've talked about before, but it's been a while. Stickity is nothing more than digital stickers for Google Docs and slides. So you can envision a lot of the grading that we do these days might be looking at a Google Doc, making comments, maybe via moat, maybe via screen pal, and add to that, maybe via stickity, where you're bringing in digital stickers as a way to comment on that. Students love real stickers and they shouldn't go away, but students can love digital stickers too as like a fun way to um, get some feedback or just say good job or just honestly be silly with it and bring some joy to that moment. So that's an awesome one. I'm going to get into my last one. It's called Story Bird. All right. So, Story Bird is their focus is to make everyone a better or more effective writer. Uh, you go over to Storybird, basically they're saying step one is choose an illustration. Step two is write your story. Step three is publish your book. My idea is to use this as a class. Uh, it's promoting cross-curricular writing and things like that. But uh, as a history teacher, you might show them a timeline and tell them to come up with the story of that timeline. Uh, maybe it's just the different battles and what they have to do is come up with a creative way that takes a reader through those different uh those different battles and the outcomes of those battles so you could get creative and you could make it uh group work where that whole timeline you're breaking it up all those events to everyone in the class and then they have to come up with a logical progression you can throw a graph up there if you're in math class throw a graph up there and tell everyone to tell the story of the graph all right there's no explanation there's just the data and uh, the axes are labeled and there's a title. Come up with the, the uh, narrative of the graph. You could do that in science with like a, a, a process. For example, you give them the photosynthetic equation, they have to write about it and they have to say what that equation shows. So uh, that's Storybird. That's kind of how I would use it. There's other activities in, uh, you know, on this site that you could use, but I looked at it and I'm immediately I'm thinking how I can implement this into the classroom, whether it's using Storybird or kind of doing something on the side. But I think it impacts students the same way. I, I love the Storybird uh, activities. So make sure you go check those out at Storybird.com. So that wraps it up for this episode. Stick around to find out where you can subscribe and follow and just stay in touch with EdTech Throwdown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the EdTech Throwdown. Do us a couple of favors. 
subscribe to our podcast on any major podcast catcher, such as Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and Stitcher. Go over to YouTube, search the EdTech Throwdown, subscribe to the channel. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The show's handle is EdTech Throwdown. You can connect with Geis at at GeisGotTech, Nick at NickGotTech. You can write us an Apple Podcast review. You can tell your friends about www.edtechthrowdown.com. And lastly, go over and check out our friends over at the Teach Better Podcast Network, a network that we are so proudly involved with. Until next time, remember, go try some EdTech because we will do the research so you can teach your class.